we didn't want to go too narrow to only focus on CO2 emissions because uh, that's not the only thing that matters. But then on the other hand, uh, we had to be careful about not going too broad because then uh, it would be difficult to measure all the guidelines across uh, all these different potential impacts. Hello everyone, welcome to Green IO, the podcast for responsible technologists building a greener digital world one bite at a time. On Green IO, we explore how to reduce the environmental impact of our digital world. Our guests from across the globe share insights, tools, and alternative approaches, enabling people within the tech sector and beyond to boost digital sustainability. If this episode doesn't sound as usual, it's just that I'm recording it in a friend's house, being without house and without office since a few weeks ago. Don't worry, the refurbishment of a house should be finalized before December and the beginning of the cyclone season here in Réunion Island. And I should also soon join a new incubator place where I will help startups with the impact both on the tech for green side, but also on the green for tech side, which is the DNA of this podcast. Talking about DNA. What does HTML and CSS have in common? They are the ultimate worldwide standards on how we code on the web, a bit like DNA. And they are maintained by the World Wide Web Consortium. And the W3C, this is how we will name it later, maintain many more standards, such as XML, SVG, or WebRTC, just to name a few. But the W3C also provide guidelines the most famous one being the Accessibility Guidelines, called Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Today, WCAG are used in countless law and regulations, frameworks, best practices, sources, etc. In a nutshell, what W3C decides will be used in every website around the world. And on August 31st this year, the W3C Sustainable Web Design Community Group, nicknamed SustiWeb, released the first ever web sustainability guidelines as a draft version. This means that every people working in web development will be impacted at some point or another. We already talked about the W3C and its ongoing work in several episodes, including three with active participants in the development of the document, Tim Frick, Anne Fubri, and Sandy Denhert. But this time, the entire episode will be dedicated to W3C guidelines, and I have the pleasure to be joined by two other very active participants. Ines Akrep, who is one of the pillars of the Web Development Committee, and Wukash Masterletz, who is the chair of the Metrics Committee. On top of a W3C spare time commitment, Ines is also a seasoned software developer with a knack for web performance and sustainability. She's based in Munich, Germany, where she is a fellow hiker in the beautiful Alps, like me, in Réunion Island. Uh, not the Alps, the volcanoes for me. And she actually hikes well less than she would like for, like me, in Réunion Island. On top of his W3C spare time commitment, Wukash is also a climate data architect. And before that, he was IT architect director at UBS. He's also a fellow facilitator of the Digital Collage Workshop, where we met first before this W3C adventure all started. 
He has uh, contributed to develop the workshop in Krakow, Poland, where he currently lives. Welcome, Ines and Wukash. Thanks a lot for joining Green Eye today, especially on such short notice. Thank you so much for the invite. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, at Climate Arc, we're defining our work as building arcs between NGOs, finance, and corporates. And I think your mission is to build bridges between people looking into sustainable digitalization. So I think our missions are very much aligned. Very much aligned. I, I like to mention, to explain my job as with the Green Eye podcast as a bridge builder. So it 100% resonates with me. So, you know, my first question will be actually not about the story of these guidelines, how we achieved such a such a, such a, such a great document, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all about getting our hands dirty right from the start. And for this, I'd like to ask you a tricky question. Could you share your top three favorite guidelines with a bit of explanation about your choice? And I know it's not an easy task having plenty of choices here among the 93 listed guidelines. It's like, it's like making me choose which, you know, in, between ch children, which one is my favorite. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I'll only have one child, but I guess I would go for avoiding unnecessary assets. That would be like the first one that kind of goes straight away towards what I think digital sustainability is a lot about, and that's just reduction in itself as well, just less, less, less. So I would say that one. Uh, then as well, same thing with the third parties. So again, I come from a very, very web performance uh, perspective here. And these third parties is something that I've seen so many times uh, in my work that are just being dropped there, left, and, and then like just sit there and of course uh, are being transferred every single time a user visited the website, so like for years. And then as well, I think I would go with the one that I'm actually currently working on with the client, which is browser caching as well. You know, that one kind of goes towards the line of bringing data close closer to the user, you no, know, not, not having to travel long distances, which we all know this is kind of a current proxy for, for carbon measurement when it comes to uh, web. So I think those, those would be kind of the three I would go for mostly. <laughs> Your three favorite children. Oh, how terrible that sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Terrible, it's terrible. <laughs> and by the way, the third party issue you've mentioned made me thought about the are my third party green of a fellow web performance and, and web sustainability expert, uh, Fershad Irani. D did you ever use his tool? Uh, not yet, but I am planning to. I'm a huge fan of his, so... <laughs> Yeah, he was the very first guest on the show, so I've got always like a, a, a soft spot for him. <laughs> and what about you, Wukash? Uh, what are your top three guidelines? Mm, that's a tricky question indeed, but I'd maybe try to go with uh, sustainable hosting. Uh, and main reason for this is that there's a big difference between hosting uh, and a region with a uh, low carbon intensity of a grid versus a uh, high intensity. It could be up to two orders of magnitude of difference. 
So I think uh, impact-wise, that's that's going to be a big one. Um, then I would maybe go for sustainable product strategy uh, because obviously uh, all these uh, decisions have to be first taken have to be first taken on on the business side to basically drive implementation of uh, more lower level guidelines. So without the uh, right product strategy, there's small chance to implement uh, these more technical guidelines. Uh, and then maybe on a more specific technical side, uh, native features, because uh, they're both uh, more sustainable, usually faster and uh, cheaper to, to implement. That, that's, that's funny. Um... Wukash, that you connected uh, both the design phase and the hosting phase because, and I don't know if you share the, this view, but I, I would love your feedback on it. Usually when I'm with a client trying to deploy a green IT or digital sustainability strategy, I used to tell them, you know, the easiest and less impact phase will be the hosting phase, but that's okay. You should start with it. You, you should start with ops people starting to measure and reduce because, you know, this is, very important stuff that we need, having measurements and having a clear understanding of what cost what in terms of carbon and also environmental impact. That's usually pretty easy to do. We've got tools and ops people are pretty comfortable with putting tools to measure things. But then be aware that the impact will be way less than when you have actually the hardest part, which is involving the design people and starting a truly sustainable product journey, which is you know challenging all the time. Do I really need this? Can I reuse something? The three R, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I kind of like the idea that you picked the two opposites. And what are you your your, your take on it? Mm, yeah, I think if someone is starting to build greenfield from scratch, then it's probably easier because. Uh, uh, it's easier to now look into uh, different metrics of uh, hosting options and just go for a green from day one. It's obviously not that easy if uh, an application is already running and uh, some changes have to be done there. Then it's uh, more effort uh, and cost, of course. Yeah, it makes total sense. So now that you hated me a little with pick your three favorites, would you like to share maybe one guideline with which you are a bit less comfortable? So I, I guess I will have to disappoint you a bit here because I just, I'm, well, let's just go with, I'm very comfortable with most of them. So we worked on them together. We re revised them a lot and all that. So I guess from, from my perspective, I just, this one, it's very, very hard to pick. I don't know. I just, I absolutely don't know which one I would say that I'm kind of not comfortable with. And that's a perfectly understandable answer. What about you, <laughs> Bukash? <laughs> hmm. I'm hoping this is uh, as tricky as it gets and uh, you're not planning third level of difficulty of these questions. Uh, <laughs> the boss level. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, one of the things that... Uh, probably needs some thought as uh, maybe a guideline of open source. That would be the right guideline in general, but I wouldn't be maybe too dogmatic about this. I can imagine use cases where something that's not open source could be a better solution 
than pure open source. And what would you be the key takeaways? You know, if you meet someone who was not aware at all about the W3C work, um, you meet your colleague at the coffee machine and you say, you know, there is a few things that you should very seriously bear in mind about this guideline. And these are? I'd probably say that uh, across the world, especially in Europe, slowly in the States, uh, we're starting to see uh, sustainability regulation uh, appearing and uh, getting some traction. Uh, and obviously, the digital world is uh, a big part of uh, many businesses. Uh, we try to align guidelines uh, with existing uh, taxonomies, which means that enhancements in web sustainability can be embedded into bigger picture of uh, sustainability reporting initiatives. Ines? Yeah, I guess I would go again a bit more from a software engineering perspective, uh, which is that um, the accessibility guidelines that you mentioned uh, before were so crucial to the topic, which is very important, just because they gave a clear overview. They gave a recipe, in a way, how to achieve uh, something. And I think this is something that we, we're trying to get as well with the sustainability that the users in this case, the, the developers, the, the well, the product owners, the designers, so everyone being involved in the development of the of the digital products have a place to look at, to have a list of, you know, not to have to be spread around, but just kind of somewhere where uh, they have this, uh, in a way, let, let's say just checklist. Yeah, fair point. Now, moving from... <laughs> the ground level, I would say. I'd like to talk a bit and ask you to highlight us a bit about the building, the process, underlying choices, etc., etc. And maybe starting with the obvious question with a bit of history first, how these guidelines were created. Wukash, do you want to start? Sure. So W3C, Sustainable Web Design Community Group, uh, has been created 10 years ago. And uh, sometime mid-2022, the group started to actively work on what has been uh, released uh, just a few weeks ago. The group consisted of uh, about 50 people from roughly 50 different organizations working together across uh, five different committees. Uh, there was a committee focusing on user experience, web development, there's a committee focusing on uh, infrastructure, business, and committee focusing on metrics. And we've been working together, having regular meetings, uh, drafting uh, what uh, now has been transformed into RESPEC, which is uh, W3C's standard uh, format, and launched a couple of weeks ago in Sevilla uh, during TPAC conference. Ines, do you want to add some specificities or your, your, your personal point of view on it? Yeah, actually, I joined the group end of 2022. And it was it was a very interesting uh, process. This is my first time uh, creating something like this, participating in a W3C uh, group. And uh, I guess my favorite part as well was the discussions we had. Now we have this monthly monthly meetings and all the discussions about the topic because in the end of the day, it's a very 
complex topic. It was very, very interesting to do this like with colleagues who are uh, interested about the topic. Now, that's interesting because a lot of things were discussed and maybe I'd like your, your, your feedback on the, um, yeah, some things that we've heard quite a lot, which, which is the rating system and actually the fact that Unlike the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, huh, which uh, uses uh, A to triple uh, A, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the future, I guess it will change to bronze to gold. You've chosen a system of low, medium, and high, and it's not exactly the same philosophy. Could you uh, explain us why? So at the very beginning, we started to impact measuring from mapping of different types of uh, impacts uh, we want to account for. Then as a next step, we, we did uh, a bit of research on how deep we can get into actual metrics. And then we could realize that uh, with the current state of uh, research in many of these areas, it's very difficult to give precise figures for this impact. That's how I ended up uh, just rating them on this uh, three-level scale, low, medium, high. And then uh, with this, uh, we also decided to uh, use uh, a report that you probably know very well, because that's a report that's uh, underlying many materials in digital collage, a report from greenit.fr, which uh, distributes impact from data centers, networking, and and user devices across uh, different uh, categories of impacts like uh, not only emissions or energy use, but also materials and water usage. Then we scored all the guidelines for their impact on data centers, networking, and user devices. And we combined these figures to uh, come up with a uh, final assessment uh, values for, for all these metrics. And that's a very important point because you've chosen not to focus only on carbon, but also a variety of environmental metrics. And actually, it goes beyond um, environment because, correct me if I'm wrong, there are also privacy, social equity, and accessibility why did you choose to have such a large impact mix, I would say? Yeah, it's a, that was a big topic uh, for a discussion at the very beginning of, uh, of our work. And obviously, we didn't want to go too narrow uh, to only focus on CO2 emissions because uh, that's not the only thing that matters. But then on the other hand, uh, we had to be careful about not going too broad because then uh, it would be difficult to measure all the guidelines across uh, all these different potential impacts. Uh, that's how we ended up uh, aligning with uh, a GRI uh, standards, uh, which are used in uh, uh, sustainability reporting. And uh, we started with uh, four categories there. Uh, we started with uh, uh, CO2 emissions, energy usage, water and materials. But now aligning to GRI also gives us ability to expand to many other categories in the future. Uh, so there are not only these uh, 
environmental categories, but we can also easily go uh, beyond that into uh, the full scope of what you'd call ESG. Hmm. And if I imagine a discussion between a web developer or a designer and an ESG expert within the same company, how this use of GRI would help them to communicate? Concretely speaking, how they will leverage the W3C guidelines to connect with their two different spheres that sometimes are are very distinct, uh, especially in big companies? That's a good question. And I think there are probably many different ways that uh, these two worlds can be connected. But uh, one thing uh, I could imagine would be to go from uh, impact, from ratings of impact, where ESG team, ESG team's uh, primary focus is, uh, then transform this into set of guidelines that uh, would help to implement improvements for the categories that the ESG team is uh, uh, mainly concerned about. That's very uncommon today in the green IT fields and beyond uh, to try to connect with the main sustainability frameworks that are shaping our understanding on sustainability and and which are evolving quite a lot so yeah it's a very moving area and i thought the idea was was really enlightening ines there is one aspect of uh, of how the guidelines have been created that i thought was very interesting but i still i wonder how practical this is and i would like your feedback and maybe some examples from you it is the cost or the you know how important it is and how difficult it will be could you explain us a bit why you made this choice and how we should use this criteria yeah, so uh, I actually really love that this part. No, when you uh, mean like a uh, high impact, low effort, for example. Definitely. So this is something that we've been using as well, describing some of the optimizations for web performance for a while. And uh, it's kind of, since these guidelines are not done uh exactly the same way as accessibility, which kind of has these levels as well. And like, they kind of build on top of each other here as well. It's it's quite, I would say, up to a level random. So you don't have to go through the list, number one, number two, number 93. You can pick any one that you want. So usually when I talk about this, I say just go for the high impact, low effort. And this is something, again, that's very uh, useful when it comes to these discussions inside of the development team itself. No, this topic is a very vertical topic. And I think everyone in the whole uh, team should be aware, no, from a product owner to the tester, content creator, uh, of course, developer, designers, everyone. And I do use this as well uh, while working no, with clients, uh, checking once I see the issues that we have. Of course, we go first for the one that's going to have higher, uh, highest impact, but it will take us, you know, the least resources, the least time, whatever, in whatever uh, you want to calculate it. But this is kind of as well, prioritizations and it's uh, ease of um, putting something, let's say, in the line for, in the end of the day, to be developed and to be optimized. Aren't you afraid that 
all the guidelines with high effort, whether you have or not high impact, um, will be deprioritized. And I take the example of something dear to the heart of many uh, W3C members, which is use open source tools, high impact, but high effort. Well, all the hard stuff, no? We Sometimes we have to take the harder, harder route, no? Um, I think... Mm, I think not necessarily. So depending on uh, how quality, of course, in the end of the day, you want your product to be, it should be done well. We all know that, no? So it's definitely with these things, it's some kind of faster wins. But overall, I guess we would encourage you to go through all the guidelines this can just give you a bit of an order you know like so you can focus on those uh high impact low effort first however the high effort should be tackled at some point as well so i guess this is depending on a personal level no like eat that frog methodology you know if you want to do that you know first thing in the morning or you want to leave it for the last is something again that just goes towards uh, every single team to decide how they want to tackle them okay so we've run through most of the framework there is also something which is uh, a bit specific to these guidelines, or at least compared to other frameworks, which is the use of this success criterion. Could you elaborate a bit of why you've chosen to use a success criterion and what is the philosophy behind it? Yeah, for me, it's probably simple. Uh, I see these as basically guidelines on how to actually execute the implementation so helper for implementing yeah a bit of a, a bit of a checklist that was what i was wondering so that that's really the philosophy behind it like you can use it as a checklist to make sure that you are aiming to the right direction yeah exactly now regarding the the overall guidelines and this draft version there is something that we've heard here and there which is People acknowledging that it is a huge contribution. Uh, there is not that many people saying this this was a waste of time. Actually, I could not find a single <laughs> comment that uh, went in that direction. So obviously, it answers a need. But some people criticized it because it was too vague sometimes and the guidelines were not that much practical. What is your answer to this? By how much is it mi missing the point? I would say that um, for some guidelines, they are very specific. Uh, they go to, uh, they've gone down to sharing uh, code examples on what to do to actually implement them. Some of them are definitely more uh, generic. Obviously, you cannot provide code example for guideline uh, within business strategy category. So they're maybe a little bit more open. Uh, but at the same time, Whenever guideline is not uh, specific enough for people to implement, uh, we're looking for feedback. We're looking for contributions to try to make them more actionable. Yeah, I guess I would completely agree with this. It's just it was very hard to draw the line. You know, what kind of what's more towards generic, what's more of practical. But yeah, as, as uh, Lukash says as well, it's 
some are on other one side, some on on, on the other side. But they're especially, I would again say, for the web web uh, development part, it's quite practical. It's up to the code examples, yeah. And because it refers quite a lot at the beginning, at least, to the six principles of the Sustainable Web Manifesto. And I was wondering, Ines, are these kind of principles uh, used and useful on day-to-day coding activities, according to you, or are they more helpful as some kind of a North Star metrics when you create something like these guidelines, but you know it's too far away from day-to-day job? I think this is something that should be ingrained in the culture. I think this is something that we should have on the back of our mind while we are making the decisions when it comes to, again, design, development, any aspect of the actual uh, product. A, a bit like a checklist once again, but more on a generic ground, like, okay, am I still working in a way to produce clean, efficient, open, honest, regenerative and resilient code? Exactly. That would that would be that would be great if you actually come to the part where you're checking checking them like each one. But even if you have just a few, again, if you just have this at the back of your mind while you're doing stuff, it's it's already, I guess, a great uh, great progress. And to be honest, the regenerative or resilient part is not that many often uh, checked. And I mean, I don't know about you, but resiliency. Um, it's not that much on the, the agenda of, of many, many, many uh, dev teams, but that, that's a different topic. <laughs> Hope, hopefully it changes in the future. Yeah, well, I think it will change in the future because what we've used to take for granted, like, you know, uh, available, available, uh, 24-7, you know, cheap energy and, you know, completely unrelated to environment uh, cloud will I guess at some point will be less and less the case. Huh? We, we've seen already what happened in the UK when they, they've been hit by a heat wave. <laughs> so I got it. The guidelines are, for some of them, maybe a bit too generic, or at least they have to be generic because they embrace a wide topic. But some of them, as Ines mentioned, are pretty specific, especially when it comes to a, a web development. So talking about this, if I was a designer or a, a web dev or pretty much, you know, someone working in a digital agency, etc. And I had to start somewhere with this pretty intense document. Uh, we're talking about the 93 guidelines. It's, I guess, 200 pages, more than 200 pages. Where should I start and how should I apprehend such a massive document? Because, of course, my time is a uh, cares and I cannot necessarily run through the entire document and read all the 93 guidelines. I know it should be done, but hey, that's not how life is um, being played today. Mm, sure. So I guess I'd start probably with a, at a glance document that summarizes all the guidelines uh, on this couple of pages. It's easy to read and it's easy to use to navigate to different uh, parts of a uh, actual guideline content, then uh, obviously, depending on uh, what you're doing, you'll be focusing on some specific category. So if you're responsible for strategy, you'd be focusing on business guidelines. If you're focusing on user experience, you'll be focusing on UX guidelines. So this is also going to help you 
to select subsection of uh, of the documents that you should be looking into, and then uh, obviously impact. That's that's big. You should be probably focusing on uh, a high impact first, and then we also have tagging that help in the navigation. So we can also use tags uh, across all these guidelines to drill into some specific topic. I guess. Lucas uh, told it all, but uh, I would just say as well, bear with us a bit longer because the team behind sustainablewebdesign.org is working on making this a bit more uh, legible and uh, to, to, to be able to navigate it uh, a bit more easily. Okay, thanks a lot. I think that's that's very valuable insights because people should not be afraid of uh, the um, the amount of work that has to be done, but start you know a step-by-step approach so actually wukush mentioned that if some people are not comfortable with some guidelines when they say they're, they're too generic or not actionable enough they should provide feedback which leads me to a very important question which is what what what's next what are the next steps for these guidelines um yes yeah, so there are these couple of different things that are happening now First of all, guidelines have been published to W3C's uh, GitHub uh, repo, and now we're accepting uh, issues to be raised against them and pull requests to recommend, suggest changes. So that's a community contribution. At the same time, uh, as uh, we mentioned before, these are community guidelines. and in order to, for these to become W3C's uh, recommendations, which is uh, is uh, a term for like a standard, there is quite a bit of work that has to happen. We need to form an uh, official working group with W3C and go through a pretty detailed process of uh, moving these towards uh, standardization. And are you confident this will happen? There's going to be a lot of work, definitely. But uh, we've seen over the last uh, 16 months that uh, we have a really strong community there uh, supporting this work. So I'm pretty sure that uh, this is going to continue. And in addition to members who already kept contributing, we're starting to see quite a bit of interest from public. We're starting to see people uh, adding... uh, issues to GitLab. Now, I think it's probably also the right time to invite uh, people who would be interested in joining and uh, continuing uh, this uh, journey with us. Community is open, so if you're interested in this topic, feel free to join us. Ines, did you have time to review some of these uh, contributions in in the GitHub uh, repository? I just quickly actually scanned them, so not many, because at some point I actually had to disable the notification since it was so many. <laughs> but that's the very good news. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. To be honest, it really is. It's 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 very nice because I guess one of the things that I definitely don't like is people who complain and don't don't offer 
solutions. So here is a lot of uh, solutions, improvements being offered and, and, and a lot of, uh, again, improvements being raised. So this is great. So again, like invitation to everyone, please review the, the guidelines, give us your feedback because this is the best way for uh, us to uh, make them even better. Definitely. And to those who do not want to join, the huge majority of people working in web development and for whatever reason will not join, I guess it will still impact them. Am I right? Yeah, well, it, it hopefully, hopefully impacts everyone. No, unfortunately, we've seen with accessibility example that not much happens until it becomes a law. So hopefully this as well goes towards that that line. But uh, my hope would be that everyone comes across them at some point and again uh, implement. Hopefully implement some of this. Mm, makes total sense. And actually, I, I would like to ask you another little game to discuss what we can reasonably expect uh, because it all it all revolves around this hopefully world uh, that you've used, Ines. Yeah. So, I'd like you to share with us three sentences uh, structured like this: In 2024, since the release of the WSG, people working in web dev have experienced something, noticed something, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In 2026, since the release of WSG version. You pick the number. People working in web dev have something. And in 2030, since the release of WSG version XXX, <laughs> <laughs> people working in web dev have. So it, to help us structure a bit what we can you know, expect literally tomorrow, but also to give us a bit of perspective. Ines, would you like to start first? Sure. Uh, so I would say in uh, 2024, since the release of the WSG, uh, people working in web dev have come across them. <laughs> I think this would be like that they just seen that they exist. So for in, in the last, uh, for the next year, I guess that would be already a great achievement. And uh, in 2026, I would say people working in web dev have implemented some of those uh, guidelines. And in 2030? Oh, in 2030. Legal. <laughs> Let's go with legal. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Get you ready, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So for all of those who didn't do anything until 2026, until 2026 <laughs> here comes legal. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I would, I would really love to see this becoming again, some, some kind of not only a standard, but something as well on the legal base, because unfortunately, this is the only way uh, to assure it gets everywhere. And Wukash, what, what is your take on it? Like 24, 26, 20, uh, sorry, 24, 26, 30. And mm. What are, according to you, the odds that it becomes legal? But let, let, for, first, let's, <laughs> let's play the game. <laughs> All right, let, let's, let's go for a game. Uh, so in 2024, since the release of uh, WSG guidelines, people working in dev have contributed to them, uh, have shared their feedback on them in order to make them uh, as accurate and actionable as possible. 
by 2026, given the fact that everyone was contributing for such a long time, we have uh, really amazing and very exact guidelines that uh, can be executed. And we're starting to see some early adopters uh, actually implementing them and seeing a big improvement. And by 2030, I don't know, I think by 2030, internet is uh, zero carbon and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, all, all the work is achieved. Do you believe that, both of you, do you believe that it could be used or leveraged in laws or regulations? Yeah, I think so. So I'm seeing this as something very similar to web accessibility guidelines. In fact, that was uh, really one of the main inspiration, uh, one of the main inspirations for us. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, these guidelines are going to follow the same pattern. But Ines mentioned that it took a lot of time and it's still you know, far, far, far from being achieved uh, worldwide accessibility or even like basic accessibility in, across many, many websites. So do you believe it will take us as much time or that we will see a faster track of adoption here? Hopefully not. Uh, because these guidelines would live in bigger context of uh, corporate sustainability, uh, which is uh, like a separate bigger driver for implementation of these. And uh, yeah, as we've been discussing before, regulations are already appearing in uh, many places. So hopefully we're not going to have to wait till 20, I know, 50 for them to be implemented. I would just like to add as well that they have so many benefits in general, no, to the business as well as in the end of the day, the people and environment. So you know, starting with better performance brings up better SEO and all that. Of course, having less stuff on your infrastructure saves money from these two infrastructures. So I guess it's kind of very easy to as well see the benefits that they will bring, not only, you know, to the, to the environment, but in general. Could we deep dive a bit on it? What are the, the main benefits that you see from adopting the sustainability guidelines? Well, I guess now it's, again, it's 93 guidelines. So it depends on which one. But I guess, well, everything sustainable web, as, as well as everything designing for that, goes towards the user. You no, know, it's just this user experience. So hopefully we see... Uh, through all the guidelines, first and foremost, decrease a bit on this, of course, no, no, the, the worldwide waste, this sheer amount of, of stuff on, on the internet. No? So I, that's, I, that's, I think, like one thing I would also hope for. And then other than that, as, as I already said, no, like the, the less things you have, the less it costs no, to, to keep it where, where it is, the less it costs as well. For example, what I was mentioning, one of my favorite is caching as well. So if you don't hit the infrastructure so many times, again, less cost. So I would say some of these things, again, for, for like beneficial for business as well, not, not only for the user, which for me would be, you know, having a great user experience and then as well enable people to use their devices for as long as possible. I think there was, there was this one of one thing that I heard recently. So my friend told me about it, that her dad had to buy a new phone and it was not an old phone, like two, three years maybe because his parking app start, stopped working. 
So I guess going towards eliminating these behaviors where, you know, it's something crucial. No, you, you, you want to pay your parking. So it's not something that, you know, you can just select a different app. It's something that like you, you in the end of the day should not be buying a new phone because of that. That's terrible indeed. <laughs> it's just, I'm under shock, you know, like software obsolescence <laughs> at its finest. So obviously the WCC guidelines are a heavy document uh, on its own. Actually, it has been built on, um, I didn't count the, the, this this time, but more than 100 references. Still, I wanted to ask you, um, is there any other reference or materials that you would like to share to either better understand uh, these guidelines or uh, be able to apply them in a, a better way? Well, I guess the, the, the main point would always be sustainablewebdesign.org website. So that's also where the guidelines are is planned to be implemented in a, let's say, more user-friendly way. And to end on the positive note, the podcast, and that's cool, pretty cool, because for once, the podcast was quite positive. It is a big achievement, and we are moving forward definitely toward the right direction. Um, could you share one piece of good news which made you optimistic recently about our past toward a more sustainable world? I guess like the random piece of news that I've seen recently and I was all positively surprised about it uh, was that, so I live, I live in Munich in Germany, that July 2023 was the record month for amount of uh, renewables inside of the German power grid. And it hit 69%. So this was a information I was very kind of, whoa, like <laughs> kind of didn't expect it. So that was something that that made me quite optimistic about in the end of the day, way, way that uh, we're evolving. I just came back from New York Climate Week and uh, yeah, obviously plenty of uh, people working in climate space there, plenty of uh, connections. Uh, really great to see uh, this level of engagement. One of the things that uh, feel really amazing is that uh, we're seeing so many new applications of AI to solve uh, climate problems. A couple of examples uh, I came across uh, would be using AI to flag greenwashing in sustainability reports or using AI to uh, increase number of uh, asset level data analysis by two orders of magnitude in order to measure carbon emissions instead of just relying on company disclosures or a tool that was used to uh, as you talk to sustainability documents using natural language. Uh, we all know that uh, AI has its own uh, uh, environmental impact, but it's great to see that it's also used as a solution. Wukash, you're aware that the first AI you mentioned, the one about greenwashing, will, on a very short period of time, drag the entire remaining resources on planet Earth. Because <laughs> there is so much greenwashing. <laughs> 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 that's right 
So thanks a lot, both of you. That was great to have you uh, with all your insights on the Green IO show. Thanks a lot again for joining on a very short notice. Thanks a lot for hosting. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this Green IO episode made in my daughter's bedroom. So I hope you enjoyed the sound. In episode 26, we will go to Latin America to meet Ismael Velasco, yet another active member of the W3C Susti web group. He's based in Mexico. And Catalina Zapata, the founder of La Web Verde in Colombia. We will talk about the progress and roadblocks of digital sustainability in this continent with its 300 million digital users. Stay tuned. And before you leave, a small message from our sponsor. No, I'm kidding. Greenio is a free and independent podcast, and so we needed your help to keep it that way. You can help us by supporting us on TP. The link is in the episode notes. But if you cannot donate, that's fine. You can support us by spreading the word. Rate the podcast five stars on Apple and Spotify. Ask a friend to do it too. Each vote is worth a thousand likes on YouTube, believe me. Sharing an episode on social media or directly with a relative is also more effective than many ads. Seriously, thanks for your support. It means a lot to us, us being me, but also Tani Levitt, our amazing podcast producer, and Gilles Tellier, our amazing podcast curator. And stay tuned by subscribing to our Green IO monthly newsletter. The link is in the episode notes, but you already know the drill. You will get carefully curated content, episode wrap-ups, and exclusive articles. It is as free and independent as the podcast itself. And as my daughter loves to say, and you might have noticed it in the latest Green IO episodes, it helps you, responsible technologist, build a greener digital world. One bite at a time.